this week, we check out another one of my tens, and in honor of Halloween, we're keeping it spooky. Hello everyone, JD here once again with the Gaming Off the Beaten Path podcast, and as has become a tradition, and by tradition I mean something that I did two years in a row, we've got another Halloween in the books, so I figured now is as good a time as ever to delve into the horror or survival horror genre once again with one of my favorite games from one of my all-time favorite franchises. Again, when I talk about a lot of my tens, you know, a lot of these games, it's not going to be like the stuff I cover for the most part. Um, it's going to be stuff that that's part, usually part of big name franchises or at least one-off games that that have kind of some level of reputation. I don't think Resident Evil needs any introduction, right? It's one of the biggest, probably the biggest survival horror franchises in all of gaming and you know it's kind of transcended gaming there's movies and you know made for tv movies and all sorts of 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 different media surrounding the franchise you know it's funny i'm actually not really a huge fan of horror in general i don't really watch horror movies i'm not super into the whole like being scared thing yet resident evil is one of my all-time favorite gaming franchises it is the third most games in my personal top 100, uh, behind only Mega Man and Final Fantasy. And it's tied with Final Fantasy for the most games on my tens list, uh, three apiece for the record out of the, the 35 that are on that list. And it's, you know, my personal top 100 is probably something I need to revisit, you know, because it's the I haven't thought about it in 15 years. But, you know, the last time I did it, Resident Evil was very well represented. So... Last year, around Halloween, I reviewed the absolutely incredible Resident Evil remake for the GameCube. You know, that was... The franchise as a whole was mind-blowing when it first came out. You know, for us, primarily console gamers and primarily mainstream console gamers, most of us had never really seen anything like Resident Evil before. I'm sure some PC old head out there is going to be like, what about Alone in the Dark? What about the seventh guest? What about the what's the one the sequel that is eleventh hour? I want to say, and you know I had some knowledge of those games, but you know for us console people, Resident Evil was really the first game like this to kind of come on our radar, and that remake for the GameCube in two thousand one or two or whatever it was, just completely you know took it to a new level. Uh, I check out my review of that, and I'm probably gonna come back and revisit that on the podcast as well because that game was just incredible. Obviously, on my tens list. Maybe next year I'll review the other Resident Evil that I gave a ten out of ten, which is Resident Evil Four, real original there. I know, but. You know, it just recently received a big budget remake for a reason. It's an all-time classic. It's one of the most influential and important games of all time. It's one of those titles that, like, when it's all said and done, you know, and we're as we write the book of video games, you can't, you won't be able to tell that story without Resident Evil Four. Um, it's just so influential, and it's kind of a formula that's still used today. Um, you know, again, I know a lot of the games I come on here with 
you know, I don't like as much as the, the mainstream gaming, gaming media. They don't like as much as I do, but sometimes it, it just, it f- hits right for everyone. And Resident Evil 4 is one of those times. Both of those games are all-time classics. They're not only personal favorites, but they're both important touchstones in the gaming industry as a whole. As I said, Resident Evil 4 is still copied to this day. The remake, I kind of posit that it's being as successful as it was, was the start uh, of the kind of remake obsession that we have now. But as great as both of those games are, as revolutionary as they were, Neither of them are my favorite Resident Evil game. That honor goes to a little side story on an underserved console, the Sega Dreamcast, that, to me, has always stood out just a little different. And I, of course, am talking about Resident Evil Code Veronica. Code Veronica was not the first game in the franchise that I played, but it was the first one that I felt like I had to play. And I really liked Resident Evil 2, but I something about this game just jumped out to me before it even was released. I don't know if it was the advertising or the word of mouth or the fact that it was on this, you know, at the time, new fancy console that I didn't have. I just knew I had to play this game any way I could, unfortunately. I had a friend that had a Dreamcast, as this this guy was notorious for picking up consoles that just flamed out. Uh, you know, some burned out, some faded away, but the dude had a Virtual Boy, dude had a Jaguar, dude had a Dreamcast. And, you know, I know one of those things is kind of not like the other, but still. You know, oftentimes when I go into, went into a game, or still when I go into a game like that, that I have that hype, uh, you know, built up, that personal hype built up for, it ends up disappointing me. But not Co Veronica. I could tell right away this game was just a little bit different than its predecessors and different in a way that I really liked. It's no secret that the first three games in the series rely heavily on jump scares and like kind of set pieces to frighten players, which I kind of came to expect. Code Veronica is no exception. It has plenty of that, but it just sort of felt different. It has a certain unnerving an atmosphere about it that it's like a demented psychological horror that the other games in the series didn't really have as much maybe the first one a little bit of course it still felt like resident evil like it didn't go so far that it's like you know bumping elbows with silent hill where it's all psychological horror all the time you know it was still very jumpy and kind of campy and b had that b-movie aesthetic to it a little bit but, like, as immediately scary as the Spencer Mansion or a Infested Raccoon City were, they just didn't have the same level of, like, unsettling, like, skin-crawling creepiness that, like, the private residence of a deranged lunatic where he has just a giant creepy doll hanging in the foyer did. Like, it's... It's, it's different. In a lot of ways, it was kind of the middle ground between the two main iconic horror franchises, those being Resident Evil and Silent Hill, that I thought would always be a great place for a game to be. You know, it's action-packed at some points. You know, the opening cinema here is... If if I just showed someone that had no idea about video games the opening scene to Code Veronica, they would probably think they were getting into, like, a you know, a game like Call of Duty, just like all action, all the guns blazing all the time. 
but it's also psychologically disturbing and slow paced and, you know, and deliberately paced, I should say, in others. And at the end of the day, does it all so well that it stands out even amongst its similarly outstanding brethren. So, story-wise, Resident Evil Code Veronica picks up after the events of RE2. Once again, we are in the shoes of Miss Claire Redfield. Claire has escaped Raccoon City with her life, but she's still without answers as to what happened to her brother, Chris, who disappeared after the incident at the Spencer Mansion. You know, the first game. Undeterred, Claire continues her mission to find him, following her next lead. That takes her to an Umbrella Corporation base on Rockford Island. She causes plenty of havoc before she's captured, knocked out, and taken to the island's prison facility. An explosion rocks that facility, the power goes out, and it causes Claire to come to. Unsure of her where her, she is, her whereabouts, she's released from her cell, surprisingly, by Rodrigo, the Umbrella employee that's responsible for guarding her. He tells Claire the facility's been attacked and that she's free to go as she pleases, but she's not going to get very far. Because her nightmare has begun again. The dead, once again, have risen just like in Raccoon City. Claire must, again, escape a horde of T-Rivers-infested zombies as she continues her search for Chris. And she's not alone on the island. She quickly meets a fellow prisoner by the name of Steve Burnside, who's searching for a way off the island as well. He's no Leon that she worked with in the second game. He's immature, he's whiny, but Claire quickly realizes that they need each other if they want to get out of here, because this island is under the purview of Alfred Ashford, grandson of the Umbrella co-founder, Edward Ashford, who believes that Claire is responsible for this attack on his facility. And that's a problem because Alfred is not quite right. He decides to make it his mission that Claire not escape alive, and that sets the stage for a cat-and-mouse game between the two that will see Claire learn even more about Umbrella's sordid past, their disturbing practices, and it also introduces a new foe that might be even worse than the Nefarious Corporation. And it's a familiar foe as well. I think atmosphere is really what sets code veronica apart from the previous resident evil entries as i said before it's a little closer to the first game than the second two but it's still kind of its own game you know it's its own thing there's this weird mixture of like your typical labs and military facilities and that kind of aesthetic and also more like gothic classical european kind of stuff uh you know you've previous villains like wesker or william birkin kind of fit into that same mold of the scientist that has like abandoned all sense of ethics and they've gone too far in the advancement of their own goals. Um, you know, Spencer as well. Although at this point, I don't believe we'd actually met him. He just kind of existed as an idea. Um, Alfred and his twin sister, Alexia Ashford, they have that to a point, but what makes them scary is the fact that both of them have just completely lost their minds. Uh, they've, have the same sociopathic tendencies as their predecessors, but they they seem to be sadistic and cruel just for the sake of being so. It's not that Wesker isn't completely evil, because he is, you know, complete global saturation and all. It's just that he has some semblance of reasoning for doing what he does. His reasoning is entirely selfish and completely twisted, but it's still a reason. 
Alfred just likes to do horrible things to people, as evidenced by some of the truly disturbing locales you're going to visit in Code Veronica. Claire will find herself in all sorts of weird medical experimentation facilities, torture rooms, stuff that you didn't really see in the first few games. Every time you see that creepy video of the Ashfords as kids, and anyone that's played the game knows exactly which one I'm talking about, it makes you a little bit more unsettled, and it drives home the point that you really don't want to get captured by these people. You know, it messes with your head in a way that the rest of the series just doesn't. Areas like the anatomist hut and the prison and the private residence, and there's others, but those two jump to mind. They're just flat out disturbing, way more so than a monster jumping through a window could ever be. Don't get me wrong, there's plenty of jump scare moments, but they're a part of the terror as opposed to, you know, the primary source of it. It's not quite the whole worst fears become manifest thing that Silent Hill has going on, but it's definitely more prevalent, at least I think, than in in other Resident Evil games. Uh, yeah, anyone that's played a Resident Evil knows, you know, a big part of this the game is picking up notes or files or books, you know, to that will help you solve puzzles and also fill in some story, you know, notes. And they go a real long way to establishing, you know, the atmosphere here. Uh, one of the first places you will go is uh, the prison barracks. And, you know, you find a prisoner's journal about, you know, the building behind, you know, the building where everyone's being taken to and they hear the screaming at night. And like, you know, that sets you up for when you eventually get there, which you don't do till much later in the game. You know, it's a little more slow burn, especially than RE2 and RE3, where, you know, it was very, you know, it was a little more action oriented. So... You know, it's the small things like that 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 Code Veronica does really well. The music certainly adds to the atmosphere. It's on point, as you would expect from the series. It's really tough to describe, but most people I know that have played it feel similarly, even if they don't really like the aesthetic and kind of the sound. Um, Gameplay-wise, I, I will say, Code Veronica doesn't do very much different than its predecessors, which... I was okay with. I know a lot of people complain about the tank controls, but I've never had a problem with them, especially in survival horror games. Well, pretty much only in survival horror games. If you played a straight-up action game with these controls, you'd lose your mind. But in survival horror, it works. You know, I really do think they make the game scarier, even though it's kind of long since been debunked that it was done on purpose to make the game scarier. It has more to do with the way the camera is. But I do think it effectively does, you know, make the game scarier. I'm not sure, but I think Code Veronica is the first game to have the 180 degree turn, which helps a ton. You may not like the control scheme, but this is the best version of it, in my opinion, that you could have. You know, back to the camera for a second. Camera angles are a major part of the Resident Evil franchise. They use them a lot to kind of induce fear and, you know, uncertainty in the player. Again, we've, you know, they're used to great effect here. The backgrounds are extremely well done. In previous games, they were pre-rendered. Again, I don't know very much about this kind of stuff. And I... I think I initially had said that they were pre-rendered here as well, but I think Code Veronica was done a little differently. Somebody that that knows a little more about 
programming, you know, or building a game from the ground up might be better to, you know, ask about this than me, but the backgrounds are extremely well done. However, they were done. The lighting's top notch for its era. You know, having a variety of different lighting is important in a horror game. In addition to making the environments feel more realistic, it sets the series apart from other horror games that insist on just being all darkness all the time. As a whole, the game's so well made and one of the first truly impressive games of the sixth generation. It may not look like much now, but this was one of the best looking games of its day. The CG cinemas look really good. There aren't that many, but they're absolutely outstanding. Character models, not the greatest. Their movement's kind of stiff, but for the time, they were good to great. Enemies look great, and there's a pretty good variety to deal with here. Uh, you've got classic baddies, of course, zombies. It's not Resident Evil without zombies, or at least Plaga zombies, or whatever it was that are in Resident Evil 4. Uh, you've got the Cerberi, the dogs, you got the bats, and you got hunters are back, uh, I think for the first time since the first game. Giant spiders, also back, and they're as annoying as ever, though unfortunately they're not all that common. New this time, you've got moths, which can poison you. Sweepers, which are hunters with poison claws, because hunters weren't bad enough as is. And the Bandersnatch, a giant one-armed monstrosity freak bullet sponge that is just terrifying to look at. Bosses here are all pretty challenging. I'm not going to name any of them for spoiler purposes, because they're all very relevant to the story. But there's a good combination of familiar faces and new enemies and new villains. Of course, enemies are only half the challenge in Resident Evil because you've got to deal with puzzles. Code Veronica has its fair share of puzzles as well, and I think they're pretty well designed here. Uh, I know that's not a commonly held belief uh, um, amongst gamers, but I like them. Most of these ch puzzles I find to be challenging but fair. I rarely found them too obtuse. I rarely found them too obvious. You know, the earlier games, especially the first one, relied a lot more on, like, object sliding puzzles, and things like that aren't as common here. They're here, but not, you know, as much. There also isn't anything like the water sample puzzle from Resident Evil 3. You know, that one's notoriously difficult. There's one I, I, I've heard a lot of gamers complain uh, about the Ashford lineage puzzle. I've never had any problem with it. Eh, maybe a little bit of a problem with it. I found it challenging, but I never thought it was unfair. If you really read the note and pay attention, I don't think it's too bad. The resources here are very limited early on. Um, again, that's part of the game. Uh, it's, you know, it's survival horror. I know a lot of people are always about the horror and they forget about the survival part, but... A little conservation is going to make the second half of the game way easier, especially when it comes to ammo. Uh, there's a pretty solid variety of guns here. You got your handgun, shotgun, grenade launcher, magnum, Resident Evil standbys. But you also have some unique stuff too. You've got the bow gun, assault rifle, the TMPs, the SMG. Ammo's pretty scarce at the beginning of the game kind of like that these games are supposed to have scarce ammo if you could just blast the heck out of everything that moved you would be playing a different completely different game uh this might be a bit controversial but i've always felt code veronica was kind of the apex of the classic resident evil series in terms of gameplay 
It had the horror elements of the first game with the more action-oriented set pieces of the second, and it did both of them well. doesn't really have that stalker enemy like the Nemesis, but honestly, I think I prefer that. I think it was a little overdone in Resident Evil 3. It's still probably my least favorite of the classic series. And, you know, By classic series, I'm defining as before 4, because 4, as we all know, kind of completely rewrote how the series went. So, Code Veronica, one of my all-time favorite games, but that doesn't mean it's perfect. I'm of the belief that there is no such thing as a perfect game, and Code Veronica definitely has its flaws. There's some points where it feels like backtracking is excessive, even for a Resident Evil game. Backtracking is part of, of the series and the genre, but it can it can get pretty bad here sometimes. I don't have a huge issue with the pacing or controls here, but some people might, especially those who their first Resident Evil game was 4 or 5 or one of the modern remakes uh, or 6, although if your first Resident Evil was 6, you probably gave up on the series after that. There's some weird attention to detail, like, you know, immersion-breaking things. Uh, Claire standing outside in the Antarctic with short sleeves kind of comes to mind. Um, a lot of people bring up the difficulty, I think that's a little overstated. I don't really think it's a problem. It's a challenging game, but the general consensus, at least that I've heard from the internet and from fans of the series, is that it's a toss between Code Veronica and Resident Evil Zero on the GameCube for the hardest Resident Evil. I am of the opinion that Zero is way harder, and it's way harder for worse reasons. It's harder because of like frustrating difficulty and like poor design. I don't think, you know, I think Code Veronica is hard because it's hard. It's challenging and, and, you know, made to be that way. The biggest issue, though, with Code Veronica, and it's a big one, is the voice acting. Now, this harkens back to the very first game. You know, we all know, we've all heard the Jill Sandwich and Master of Unlocking and, you know, terrible voice acting in the first game. But... That had at least the excuse of being first and, you know, being voice acted at a time where almost no games were voice acted. Code Veronica at least had better dialogue and translation. It's actually very good, but the voice acting is still atrocious. Almost all the characters are either over or underacted. Very rarely are they just right. There are many points where I was convinced that the actors kind of had their lines with no context whatsoever. Claire isn't so bad. Her voice is at least appropriate for her character. That voice sounds like it would come out of that woman. But there are times that she seems almost disinterested. You know, like, we're just like, oh, you know, a zombie. Look at that. Trying to kill me. Great. Alfred is kind of the other direction. He's over the top and ridiculous and has this, like, falsetto like voice it's just completely out there with everything he does or says it's not objectively good but it actually does kind of work in his favor because the character is supposed to be over the top and a little ridiculous like a little cartoonishly evil the biggest culprit here though is steve oh dear lord is his voice acting hor his voice is just grating I think he's supposed to be 19 or 20, but he sounds like a 12-year-old boy who just, you know, just hit puberty. He's got this high, nasally voice. It's worse than mine. It's the stuff of absolute nightmares. It's as terrifying as any of the zombies or hunters or bandersnatch or any of the monsters in this game. Steve's voice is as bad or worse than any of them. 
I don't know what else to really say other than look up a cutscene that from this game that he's in on YouTube and listen for yourself. I will say though, if there is one positive, because I like to look for the good and the bad, there's one positive I can kind of get from his voice acting. It's that it kind of, just kind of, fits a little bit with his character and his character dynamic with Claire. Because one of the things about Code Veronica that, you know, I think sets it apart, I think was unique, especially for the time when, you know, there weren't that many, like, super strong heroines in games that was starting to become a thing at the time. But in Code Veronica, Steve is kind of the damsel in distress, right? He's always getting himself in trouble, and Claire is always bailing him out. He's kind of like, a, you know, like, goo-goo-eye for her, you know, like, where she's just trying to survive. You know, the one point comes to mind where he's operating a, 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 a forklift to try and help them get out of, of the predicament they're in. And Claire kind of leans over like a railing and he screws up cause he can't, he starts staring at her, butt. um, you know, in typical, like, you know, like stunted teenage boy fashion. Um, and you know, it kind of like, you know, that sounded almost like creepier than it is. Like it's, it's definitely more trying to drive home the point that this dude is kind of like, you know, you know, he's like a basically a dumb kid that probably wouldn't be surviving on his own if it weren't for her. And the whininess and the high nasally voice kind of fits with this. Not enough for me to call his voice good, but it's a positive that I can take from it. So, at the end of the day, Resident Evil Code Veronica is still an outstanding game, even all these years later. I know it's kind of a divisive game in the Resident Evil community, but I've always fallen on the side of it being an all-time classic. I've said it before, even amongst my tens, you know, 30-something games, there's levels to this. All of them are outstanding, but some are more outstanding than others. And for me personally, Code Veronica is the top of the top. It is one of my personal top five games of all time, and I really mean that. Bad voice acting aside, Code Veronica offers an atmosphere that's unlike any other Resident Evil game, one that I've always kind of enjoyed. It's kind of the best of both worlds with action and suspense and psychological horror, I should say all three worlds. That's something that's a huge deal for me, you know, especially as someone that's not really a fan of traditional like horror movies and stuff. I will say, I, and I will admit this, I don't know if it's quite as revolutionary as RE4 or even the remake. However, I think it is absolutely the peak of what classic Resident Evil is, was, and should be. And I love classic Resident Evil. You know, I've said many times, I hate speedruns. I just I don't see the point in them but sometimes I just love to blast through like the first part of this game as fast as I can because I played it so many times I know exactly where to go and what to do this is literally the only game I have ever ever gotten any enjoyment out of doing that with so it may require a little patience a little extra patience from more modern gamers people that you know their first Resident Evil were the remakes or even Resident Evil 4 which is a 20 something year old game at this point but with its creepy locales, its demented villain, its outstanding heroine, and its terrifying atmosphere, I still think Code Veronica is a must-play. That's going to do it for us today. Hope everyone had a happy Halloween. Hope to see you back next time, but until then, happy gaming.